Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. When two Division I athletes discuss the challenges and successes of navigating life after competing, you get conversations designed by athletes for athletes. I'm Don Sutton. And I'm Brooke Beerhouse, sharing with the athletic community stories and insights to better understand life when your sport ends. Hello and welcome to When Your Sport Ends, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? I'm Don Sutton, alongside my co-host Brooke Beerhouse on this week's episode of When Your Sport Ends. Our conversation this week is one that I've been wanting to get into for a very long time. It's a topic that every athlete deals with during their training and competing years, but then they might neglect it right after their sport ends. Yep, we are getting into nutrition when your sport ends, but not your standard nutrition podcast episode. This conversation has so many quality insights and revelations that we cannot wait to share with you. For example, the brain scan differences between a hydrated body and a dehydrated body is something that Don and I have both been sharing with friends and family ever since our talk with Casey. You're going to want to take notes on this episode. Our guest, Casey Thomas, spent five years working in clinical research before deciding to return to school to become a registered dietitian. He spearheaded the development of a sports nutrition program on campus and completed a thesis project examining cognitive supplements in elite esports athletes. He is a published scientific author who regularly engages as an expert peer reviewer and has been featured in media outlets for interviews about the, his nutrition strategies. Casey currently works as the performance dietitian for UCLA Athletics and instructs at an exercise and sports nutrition course through UCLA Extension. His unique research background has allowed him to implement protocols that have facilitated significant improvements in body composition, health, and performance among the athletes, assisting several teams to championship victories. He has also enjoyed consulting for other sports programs, universities, and businesses looking to gain a performance edge. While Casey has experience working directly with elite-level athletes and multiple Olympians, he is also passionate about bringing high-level performance nutrition to people simply looking to improve. Casey's contact information is in the show notes. All right, let's get into it. Can we start with just a little bit of background? Just how you got to UCLA being a former, well, not former, yeah, uh, basketball to. dietitian. <laughs> uh, wow. All right. It's Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I took a little bit of an interesting route to get to where I'm at. Um, in my undergrad years, I actually was pre-med. Uh, I was a neurobiology major. And I thought I was going to be a brain surgeon. Um, decided that wasn't what I wanted to do when I started interacting with more doctors and working on the clinical side of things. And so what I actually wow. did is I went and I worked in research for um, about five years. And from there, I was 
always still very interested in nutrition, but I've been physically active for basically my entire life. And, you know, I played sports all, all, all through high school, um, recreationally in college. Um, and so I'd always been helping people with their nutrition already. Uh, and when I started working in research, I started looking at different pharmaceutical and supplement compounds that can improve the brain. And this got me interested in seeing how different compounds could be used to enhance performance. Uh, so wow. what you see is that at really high levels that what separates a, you know, the, the best athlete from, from second place is something neurological and not necessarily physiological. So, you know, how quick are your reaction times? How quickly can you make a decision? Can you make a call? Those kind of things, uh, because everyone's got really good, uh, you know, trainers, everyone's got really good hearts nowadays. <laughs> um, it's, it's, yeah. it's usually something in the brain. Um, and so, Anyway, I realized that I was falling in love with this nutrition piece and how I can use different nutrition to help out performance. And I knew I couldn't have the job that I wanted doing where I was as just a nutritionist. And so I went back to school to become a dietitian. Uh, mm. I started a sports nutrition program uh, on my campus. Um, I'm an instructor with UCLA Extension now. I'm a published scientific author. Uh, I, I serve as an expert peer reviewer for a lot of journals. Um, and, you know, I've been with UCLA since working as their performance dietitian. Uh, and this last year in particular, I've worked exclusively with the two basketball programs. I, I formerly worked with pretty much all the athletes. Um, I still work with a bunch of them, but uh, right now my UCLA position is with the two basketball teams. That is absolutely fascinating. There's so much in there that I know I, I'm going to want to get to. Um, why exactly is the basketball, why are the basketball teams your main focus? Was that a choice on your part or was that where they really wanted to allocate your knowledge? Sure. Yeah. So initially I was working with about half of the Olympic sports teams um, and that was me working with maybe 300 athletes. And the amount of time I could give to those athletes was not very much. And that's just a situation that you see with a lot of dietitians at universities. And uh, right now is, you know, you're kind of overworked and you're spread really thin. So you can't give each athlete the care that they actually deserve. And due to some interesting circumstances at our campus, uh, we got a new head coach for the men's team. And I'd been working with the men's team already. And the women's team, um, they saw me over there a lot and they really liked me. And so what they decided was they really wanted to adopt kind of uh, an NBA model, like professional model. And so oh, they, they basically bought me out, I guess. <laughs> uh, and they <laughs> said, Hey, we want you here. And we want to make sure that you give our athletes individualized nutrition programming. So every single athlete, I'm able to check in with them every single day now. And I'm the only dietitian in the nation at the collegiate level, actually, who works exclusively with basketball. Uh, everyone else has dietitians working basketball plus other sports. And so I'm really fortunate to be able to do that. So it was driven by the coaches uh, and the performance staff over there. And it was, uh, you know, like I said, I'm very fortunate to, to have the spot that I do now. Do you did you notice kind of each sport had a different dietitian plan? Now, I know everybody's different, but I'm wondering if there were consistencies among the sports. And then as you dove into basketball specifically, you noticed even further differences within athletes. Absolutely. Um, so everyone's obviously going to be different. I, I like to say that I could put 100 people on 
the same diet plan and you know maybe only half of them are going to respond exactly how i see but within athletes the difference are even bigger uh everyone at that level at you know the collegiate level is obviously very good and usually that's a result of some kind of genetic variants that they have and so they tend to be genetically uh have an advantage i mean sure i'm sure they you know have to pair that with a lot of hard work obviously but at the truly elite level yeah. you usually have that and so you see more variance in how people respond to different training programs and diet programs um so every single team uh has their own unique needs certainly um usually we like to bucket it into three different categories uh on one side you have endurance sports a lot of the endurance sports tend to have similar nutrition needs uh, on the opposite end on like true strength sports. They tend to have very similar nutrition needs. And then in the middle, which is probably the biggest category for what people classically consider sports are like our mixed sports, which need both, you know, strength and power and also endurance component. Uh, I think things like soccer where you have to be able to sprint, but also last for uh, an extended duration of time. Um, mm -hmm. and then within teams, you obviously also see different positional needs. So if you're talking American football, you know, an offensive lineman has very different nutrition needs than a wide receiver. Um, so there is a lot of variance within positions, within sports, and, you know, even, uh, within genders as well. Female athletes have very different needs from male athletes. Yeah, we were, it was funny, uh, just a few moments before the call, Don and I were talking about our diets, you know, when we were training and competing and, you brought up the offensive lineman and I was just thinking about, I had told him before, um, in the dining halls, I remember getting breakfast after morning workouts and I would always sit with some of the football guys and just, it's so apparent, you know, how different our refueling needs were. I was like, uh, do you sure? Like if I was eating all that, I wouldn't be able to do anything for the rest of the day, but it's truly incredible how different we process and utilize those nutrients. And I'm just curious what it's like if you've dealt with some of the athletes after they're done competing, or if you have some knowledge to give on that end with like, how do you transition out of being able to pretty much eat whatever you want in a, I mean, Don's making a face, but he, as a swimmer, definitely ate way more than he does now. Um, but that transition of getting out of you know, just be more aware of what you're putting in and the fact that your body can't really metabolize as fast as it was when you were training and competing. Yeah, that's um, that's a loaded question. Um, it is. I'll, I'll, I'll try to tackle it the best I can. But um, I mean, first off, I'll say that currently, you know, it's definitely an underlooked area and a lot of athletes really, really, really struggle with this. This is a huge problem. Uh, most mm -hmm. athletes tend to go significantly up in weight when their careers end. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen some go on the, the other side too, but usually it's people tend to put on weight when they're done. Um, you know, so being, being an athlete, that's a huge transition in terms of your lifestyle habits. And that's usually what people will point to as being one of the, the, the big changes is, you know, obviously you're not training as much, uh, you know, you're not in a strict schedule. Maybe you're not a student anymore. Or if you were a pro athlete mm -hmm. and you retire, you know, uh, your training schedule, your travel schedule, everything just, you know, is completely different now. Um, but something that's a little bit less obvious is the fact that you're simply older and you kind of alluded to this, which is, you know, when, when you're a freshman, uh, you kind of get a little bit of latitude with what you can eat. <laughs> and when yeah. you're a senior or maybe you're a graduate student, um, you, you don't get that same latitude anymore. 
Um, so you pair that with a, a huge radical lifestyle change, and it's it's definitely a big, big issue. And two of the, I, I guess, two buckets that I'd like to categorize athletes into is uh, you have the athletes who are, you know, very much just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, and then you have the athletes who say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and I know best. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen successful athletes in, in both kind of categories. Um, but in either situation, when you're when you're leaving, you're still not really prepared for how to train, how to how to eat right and and all these things. And it's something that I'm really happy that at UCLA we, we t- put a lot of effort into, which is trying to develop those skills. So that way, by the time they leave, they're ready to go. So we, we start a, a very mm-hmm. specific and something that I've kind of worked to develop is uh, in, the, in the final year that they're going to be with us, we, we go through a lot of different skills that they need. So that way they're prepared on the back end to be ready to basically be on their own. Uh, so, so things like cooking skills, you know, grocery store skills, you know, some of them have never stepped foot inside a grocery store at all. Um, yeah. you know, they've been, they've been living in the dining halls, um, differences wow. in, you know, meal timings and how that's going to alter because, you know, you're not, you're not playing at 10 PM anymore. Maybe, you know, you're going to have mm-hmm. a more regular sleep schedule, uh, food quality. Um, there's a lot of considerations and one of the the biggest changes that I'll say that needs to happen is just like a broad strokes is typically you need less carbs. And usually that's because as an athlete, you need more carbs in order to function well. Mm-hmm. And so when you cease all of that physical activity, uh, carbs is usually where we want to start pulling some of those, uh, you know, calories from. That's, that's so interesting that you actually have a program to kind of develop these skills for post-collegiate life. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's the first I've ever experienced or heard of anything like that. Um, would you mind going into just a little bit about how you came to that conclusion and then how long have you been doing it as well as have you seen results? Sure. Um, so, okay. So the first, how did we come to that conclusion? Um, it it was something that we always are hearing about. And I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely gotten more attention in recent years and at the NFL level with regards to things like concussions. And then, uh, that kind of spiraled into, you know, looking at more health metrics. And, uh, when you look at mortality rates and, uh, morbidity rates of pros, um, you know, it's, it's quite high. It's, (laughs) way higher than the general population. Um, And, you know, it's simply like you accrue all this damage, you train really hard, and it's usually unhealthy to do so. Um, And so you you pair that. uh, A lot of people are concerned with that. Um, And especially, you know, we started getting questions because of all the media attention on this. We started getting questions from parents who, you know, when we're doing our scouting uh, for, for new athletes and we're trying to get new recruits in, you know, a lot of times the parents are the ones who are asking these questions. They're, they're saying, uh, you know, hey, do you have something in place to protect my kid from, from you know, these, these things that we're seeing in, in the media as being, you know, health issues for, for our athletes? Um, what are you going to do to prepare my athlete so that way he's, you know, can be self-sufficient or she can be self-sufficient? Uh, so, so that kind of a lot of those pieces kind of came together and said, you know, maybe we should really develop something for our athletes. So that way we, you know, we can tell the parents, yes, we have a program in place. We can, we can make sure that they're going to be, you know, ready. Um, 
a lot of times a lot of athletes do get I don't want to say coddled, but, um, you know, when they, they're on sometimes. full scholarship. Yeah, sometimes, right? So you get access yeah. to a lot of the, the dorms, the scholarship money, uh, you know, the, the, the dining halls, and you never really have to, to cook for yourself. Um, and then it's just an extension of the, the childhood period, right, where you had your parents cooking for you, and then mm-hmm. now you have the dining halls cooking for you, and it's like you've never actually had to be self-sufficient yet. Um, so, so we kind of put that on them on the athletes, you know, in, in a little bit of a stepwise fashion to, uh, learn how to do those things. So, uh, we might start out with, uh, you know, obviously it's contingent on things like the, the team's budget and how much they can provide for certain nutrient nutrients and food items. But, um, an example might be, uh, okay, you're in charge of making your own post-workout smoothie. Here's all of the, the ingredients to do so, but you have to learn how to do it. And you can basically start using any of the ingredients that we have, you know, available here for you. Um, wow. We might have them uh, do a cooking class and that might be like, okay, we're going to teach you how to make a good dinner option. We're going to teach you how to make a good uh, snack option. We're going to teach you how to make a good lunch option. Um, we'll do knife skills because that's something that's frequently lacking is just how do you handle a knife and not hurt yourself? Uh, some other things are like, uh, general food safety guidelines, right? Like how long can you store food for? How long is it going to last for? I don't want you getting sick before the game versus SC. Um, so, you know, we got to make sure that you're, you're, you're staying healthy and, and up to speed there. Um, yeah. And it, it is a lot of education. So I'll do a lot of, you know, I'll do like monthly more in-depth team talks with them and we'll review practices. But we also like to incorporate a lot of the hands-on stuff too. Um, so getting them involved with picking out their meals, getting them involved with uh, like grocery store tours and be like, okay, well, uh, we're going to go to to Ralph's and we're going to go buy as a team everything that you guys want to have for, um, for your training table, you know, things like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I, um, as you were talking, I was kind of curious about circling back earlier to when you discussed about athletes and our genes and the correlation between our genetics and our DNA and then what foods work best with us. If we look at like the blood type or um, things of that nature. And I don't know if, if that is in what you've been researching or, or if you utilize any of those practices, I would and if you don't, it's totally fine. We can move on to something else. But I'd be curious to know if that's, you know, something that you you look into with the athletes as a whole. Yeah, that's not something that's really practical to implement with um, collegiate athletes. But I will say with professional athletes, I do know some teams that are making use of some of those um, services. Uh, and mm. definitely in my private practice, I have, I have utilized some of those. We're not at the point where... You know, I do think that it's coming. I think that in maybe you know ten years or so, we're going to have something that can do this. But right now, we're not at the point where where you can look at someone's DNA and say, "Ah, this is the perfect meal plan for you." Um, anyone gotcha. who tries to sell you on that is is lying to you. We don't have the evidence for it. Um, but there is other types of things that you can use it for. So I might learn that I have a propensity for, uh, you know. I have poor absorption of iron, for example, something like that might mm-hmm. show. And so that might say, okay, well, maybe you should make an effort to include a little bit more iron, or maybe that's a reason for you to get more lab checks on your blood. Um, so there are certain nutrients that you can pick out that, you know, you can get some valuable information that can guide some of your nutrition practices. But we're not at the point where I can completely design a meal plan strictly based off of your um, your DNA or your blood or anything like that right now. 
Yeah. I just, I find, I find that fascinating. So I, I've been, um, just curious about that for, for a while now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a really up and coming field. And I think that it's, it's going to be really interesting to see where, where it develops. Um, so I have my eye on it for sure. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be really curious to, to see what comes out of it. Use athletes as lab rats. Right? <laughs> <Stop> exactly. <it>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of there again, it doesn't work right now. We don't have enough data for it, but there's a huge market for talent identification, right? Like if you can look Mm. at someone's DNA and you can say, Hey, this four-year-old, he can be the next Usain Bolt. Um, you know, people will pay a lot of money for that. Right. So, you know, I, I think that maybe about that. I yeah, was I'm just thinking about food and optimization through food. <laughs> oh, it's, That'd yeah. be amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think we're getting the, the genetic stuff is really fascinating to me, but it's just not there yet. Um, so, but, you know, keep an eye on it because it could get, could get really interesting. <laughs> For sure. Getting back to athletes after their sport. I just feel like sometimes we're so inundated with all these like fad diets or, you know, do this to be back into the shape you were when you were competing. You know, I feel like that's catered a lot towards um, advertisers, of course, but is there any, and again, we talked about this being athletes so different, but if you have a few suggestions for maybe like longevity, um, some nutrients or different things to incorporate into your diet that, you know, couldn't, could probably help um, just in terms of longevity. Maybe we'll go with that and not like, you know, losing weight or other goals, but just to be your healthiest. Absolutely. Um, so when we're talking about athletes who are no longer athletes, um, mm-hmm. generally the goal becomes just, just health-based, right? Longevity, uh, you want to have enough fuel to, if you're still being physically active to, to do that, but it's not going to be to the same you know, frequency, duration, intensity is what you were doing, obviously. Um, so in terms of some nutrition recommendations that I can make at that point is it, some of it might sound kind of generic, but you know, uh, if, if people actually implemented what, what I'm about to tell you, you know, they'd be 90% the way there, maybe 95% the way there. Um, but people just usually don't do it. Um, so the first thing is really, you want to, you definitely want to focus on, eating mostly whole foods if you can. Um, Mm. And one easy way to do that, which maybe you've heard before is like, if you're at the grocery store, you shop on the perimeter and you try not to shop in the aisles. Uh, So, you know, that's like where all the fresh produce and meats are and things like that. And you're avoiding all of the, you know, the processed stuff. Um, But the, the next step would be to make sure that you're eating as much as your body needs. And one way mm-hmm. to check this, um, I'm going to assume that this person is is healthy and doesn't have any eating disorder risks or things like that. But one way to check this would be to check your weight. And if you notice that your weight is creeping up, you know, one, two pounds every week, then obviously you're eating more than you need. Right. Hmm. Um, yeah. So if, if you're if you're keeping tabs on your body and you're seeing what's happening to your body, um, you know, what what gets what gets measured gets managed. Um, so, so if you're measuring your body weight, you should be at maintenance calories. Um, and usually actually for a lot of male athletes, actually, you'll, you'll probably see a a loss in weight at the start if they're going to maintenance calories, just because they might lose some of their muscle mass because they're not training as much as they used to anymore. 
So, um, so you want to see that your, your body weight is roughly stable. Um, after you're making sure that your body weight is stable, then you might want to look towards your protein intake. And I'm going to get a little bit mathy here, but uh, a number that I like to recommend is 1.8 grams per kg of body weight. Uh, so that would be, so if you have like a 200 pound person, you're looking at, you know, uh, about 160 grams of protein in a day, which sounds kind of like a lot to some people, but it's actually not that much when you factor in how much people are actually already eating. Most Americans are already eating uh, more protein than they need. Uh, oh, wow. And, I bet. And, yeah. And then when you, when you tell someone to eat a certain amount, then they just say that that sounds like a lot. And then all of a sudden it becomes a problem. But uh, about 1.8 gram per kg protein, I usually like to start where, you know, a, a nice way, if you're not going to measure it, you're not going to, you know, count it. Um, a nice way to just think about that is if you're having three meals a day, just make sure that you're having a piece of protein with, with each of those meals. So for a good way to measure that, if you just look at your hand would be like about the size of your palm. So about three palm sizes in a day of, of protein that should be at every meal. And then the other component that should be at every meal is some kind of vegetables. So it's going to sound really cheesy, <laughs> but, uh, I like to recommend that you eat the rainbow every day. Um, not Skittles, but, uh, <laughs> in terms of, of vegetables. So if each, each color is actually associated with a unique set of nutrients and benefits. And so if you're only eating, say, green vegetables, you're actually missing out on a lot of benefit that you could be getting by eating some of the other ones. And this extends beyond health. This, this uh, goes, goes definitely into like physical performance and uh, mm -hmm. mental performance as well. Um, so, so the vegetables, the protein are pretty much the core to every meal. And then after that, you get some latitude. Um, you get to pick your carbs and your fats based off of uh, preference and also based off of what your training looks like. So if you worked out, obviously, you're going to need a little bit more carbs. Uh, if it's a rest day, you need a little bit less carbs. Um, those are probably the, the basics. Um, some other things that I might recommend are including both raw and cooked foods a lot of times people tend to skimp on the raw foods but yeah. you know usually when you're cooking foods you lose some of the nutrients from them and so incorporating some raw foods into your diet can be incredibly beneficial um, and then two other uh, minor things that I'll, that I'll add on um, if you're if you're just playing the numbers game most people in America are deficient in vitamin D. Most people are deficient in uh, their omega-3 consumption. And most people are also deficient in uh, magnesium, which is usually coming from your leafy greens. So eat more fish, get more sun, and eat more veg <laughs> would be kind of the, the punchline to that. Sounds like a Cali line. <laughs> I was thinking of my mom too. She's always yeah. told she's told me that since she's like, make sure you get in the sunshine, greens, and uh, omegas. We didn't eat enough fish growing up, so I'd always just have the the pills. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, with the omegas, it, sometimes people don't like fish, you know, and it's tough. Uh, yeah. to, so you know, you can definitely supplement if that's something that you need you need to do. But um, yeah, there's a lot of fats that a lot of people aren't consuming enough of. Usually, like most people tend to gravitate towards 
the quote unquote like unhealthy fats uh, to the exclu- to the exclusion of some of our more healthy fats and things like you know eggs, avocados, olive oil, fish, nuts and seeds, those kind of things. Um, but you can definitely supplement as you need. In general, I'm like a food first kind of person, but if you, if you have to make yeah. up a deficit with a supplement, go for it. But also going back to when you said about eating for mental energy and focus, I would like to touch on that because, um, when my, just a, a little bit of a backstory, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts too, cause I'm sure this is important for you as well. But when I stopped competing and training, I kind of just, didn't see any point in being so strict and getting all the nutrients. And I think I felt like beforehand I was just eating so that I raced really well. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that by eating well, I was also helping to fuel my grades and focus. And I honestly, that, that semester that I ended um, working out and being on the team, I had the worst GPA of my, just the entire, um, time in college. And I thought that that was more to do with like the emotional side of things. But I later realized that, I mean, I was just sustaining on coffee or like, you know, I just didn't have any reason I felt like to be putting such a focus on whole foods and like feeling my body if I wasn't working out. But um, then once that changed, I saw such a increase in my creativity and my focus and just being able to to be a human again, I feel like, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of other sides to this nutrition part that, like you said, that's not just to, you know, play or perform in your best way, but just to like live and, and be your best self. So I'm really glad you said that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that I think is really important, too, is, um, you know, figuring out what the what the driver is for these athletes, like what's their main motivation now right when mm-hmm. when they've retired because a lot of times you know sometimes they they have like a you know a little bit of a crisis they're like what am i going to do with my life this was my life for so long now what, right. what do i do um and if you figure out what their big drive is uh almost certainly whatever the drive is you can use nutrition to help it out definitely not to like you know toot my own horn but uh, there are there are many other things that, that take precedence over nutrition but um you know, nutrition can help out in all of those as well. Um, and so, you know, the cognitive performance, that's something that I really am extremely interested in. Um, and you know, if you, if you have a minute, I can kind of walk through some of the different things that are good for, for cognitive performance. Um, yes. yes. Oh, we would love that. (laughs) Uh, okay. So the, as a base level recommendation, the number one diet pattern that has been shown to be uh, beneficial for cognitive health is the Mediterranean diet. So that's mm-hmm. the number one rated uh, cognitive baseline diet that I like to recommend. And then I'll, I'll walk through some more specifics after this. But uh, basically, the Mediterranean diet is composed of a lot of seafood and poultry, uh, eggs, and then a lot, a lot of vegetables, um, nuts and seeds, and those kind of things. So that's like the baseline diet right there is, is that it it tends to not have very much red meat. It tends not to have a lot of processed foods. Um, so it already sounds kind of healthy, right? It sounds kind of like the stuff that I was talking about before. Um, Mm -hmm. but it, it does put a, an emphasis on these healthy fats that I kind of briefly mentioned before. So, so that's like the, the baseline. Uh, and, and then if you're talking about some very specific, you know, like 
I, I hate the, the, the term superfood because I don't think there really is a superfood. But uh, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you want me to like kind of, you know, air quotes, uh, superfoods for the brain, um, I did mention, you know, avocados and omega threes, you know, and specifically in the form of like wild caught fish. Um, mm-hmm. But some other ones would be, you know, walnuts are really good for the brain. They have uh, omega nines, which not a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, berries, all berries uh, are especially really, really good for the brain. They actually have been shown to improve blood flow to the brain. Uh, So, you know, if you you eat some, yeah, if you eat some berries, it'll get some blood literally like circulating in the brain a little bit more, which is really cool. Um, And then another one, which, you know, is kind of trendy nowadays, but uh, it's actually really good for the brain too, is, is turmeric. So, very similar. Um, you know, you can do like a turmeric shot. Uh, it's a very potent, like anti-inflammatory antioxidant as well, but it it also uniquely has some brain properties. So those are some of the specific foods. Um, one thing that's really interesting about the brain also is that, you know, you, as an athlete, I'm sure you've been told, you know, hydration is very important, right? Mm -hmm. Um, probably heard that. Uh, and the body is mostly water. But the brain is actually almost like 75% water. It's more water than other parts of your body. So if you're dehydrated even just a little bit, your brain feels it so much more because it's made up of more water. And what you see actually is that when you put someone under a brain scan and you look at their their brain and they're even just like 2% dehydrated, their brain shrinks, like it physically shrinks, and it looks hmm. like the brain of someone with Alzheimer's. Have you and seen that? Wow. The, 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 the interesting thing about this is that you don't notice really that you're being impaired. It's kind of like mm-hmm. when you get used to sleeping on like six hours a night, and then you get that one really good night of sleep, and then you're like, oh my God, I forgot what good sleep is like, and I feel so good <laughs> and rested now. Um, it's kind of like that. Like if you're dehydrated, your brain like can get used to it, but it doesn't mean it's, it's not impaired. It just means that you're, you're blocking out those like, you know, impairment signals. Um, and so once you, once you actually like start paying attention to your hydration habits for your brain, you'll actually see a significant improvement. And there's actually some other like really interesting data on hydration too, where it's like, if you're sipping on water during an exam, you can improve your test scores by as much as 10%, which is crazy to me. Um, like a free letter grade just by sipping yeah, water. Crazy. Drinking yeah. Take notes, so, student athletes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one. And then what else can I say about the brain? Uh, there's some specific compounds. Uh, so like the most widely used psychotropic medication in the world and has the most research behind it is caffeine, right? Everyone's either drinking mm-hmm. coffee or tea. Um, and, and there is, some truth to that. So caffeine can be used to help improve things like memory, your focus, your reaction time. Uh, caffeine is a little bit better at it because it has a higher, or coffee is a little bit better at it because it has a higher dose of caffeine than tea. But mm-hmm. some people get the jitters with with coffee. So, you know, if that's you, maybe you opt for some tea instead. Um, what else? Uh, gum has actually been shown to help out quite a bit too. That's actually uh, improves reaction time, concentration, focus, um, accuracy. If you're like, you know, a tennis server or something like that. Um, 
gum chewing has been shown to help out. It also improves blood flow to the brain, kind of like the berries. So that's kind of cool if you, you know, have a stick of gum with you. Uh, that is really cool. No <laughs> wonder I, I read and I um, study with gum. Oh, yeah? It makes sense now, but I feel in the zone when I have it. I don't know. <laughs> like sticks of gum laying by pretty much not all the time, but just like for intense, um, like if I'm researching or editing, that's kind of the only times now that I use it, but I used to study with it all the time. Gets you in the zone, huh? Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> now I won't feel guilty for all the packs of gum I buy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, the, the last one, which I'll mention, because I know I'm kind of talking your ear off about this stuff, but I get really excited, uh, is there's there's some smells that actually have been shown to, to help out with, with uh, cognitive ability. It's not strictly mm. nutrition, but um, like if you smell peppermint or rosemary, um, it can improve like your cognitive processing speed and like accuracy, uh, memory, all that kind of stuff. And uh, wow. a quick, quick little study or a quick little story. Uh, ancient Greek students, they used to wear like a laurel of rosemary and when they were at school and also when they were taking tests because they thought it would help improve their performance uh, and like make them you know smarter for, for the exams. And it turned out they were right, and we didn't have the research to support it until just recently. And now we know that it's legit, so it's just kind of a funny story. That's, That's awesome. so cool. I love rosemary. <laughs> yeah. I have to start eating it more. We should plant some. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the last thing we usually like to ask is, what would you tell yourself uh, knowing what you know now? But um, this is a little bit different. And I'm actually really excited for this question. Uh, circling back on what we had talked about earlier, you had mentioned we we talked briefly about the falling out after the athlete. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I had it, you had it in mm -hmm. our own ways. What do you think would be your kind of advice for just easily getting back into the nutrition mindset for anybody who's fallen out and gotten in there? that rut, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never too late to, to start taking it serious. Right. I mean, like the best time to start was yesterday, but the next best time to start is right now. Um, so, so never feel like just because yesterday was bad today needs to also be bad. So you can always get into it. Um, and you know, there's like a little bit of an analogy, which is like, I, I heard this one time, which was, you know, if, if you, if you pop a tire, uh, you go out and you fix the tire, right? You don't go out and slash the other four tires or the other three tires. Um, and oh, that, I like it sounds that. kind of, kind of silly. Like you don't go out and slash the other three tires. Obviously you just fix the one tire, but, uh, in a nutrition analogy, it's like, okay, if you had one bad meal, cause you're out with, you know, the boys on Saturday night, um, <laughs> that's no reason for you to ruin the other meals that are coming up because you're off the wagon, right? It's just like, okay, well we had that one bad meal, no big deal. Let's just move on. And like, we still have the other three good wheels to go for, you know? So yeah. Um, don't, don't take it too seriously. Um, or if you, if you happen to, you know, be finding yourself in some poor nutrition practices right now, uh, any small change that you can make can have a profound influence, right? So, you know, let's say, let's say you're doing the absolute worst diet that you can imagine right now and do something as easy as like, I'm just going to drink one extra glass of water today. That's it right? That alone is going to be so much of an improvement that that's going to spur, spur you on to making another small change next week. And so you can do something really basic like that and, and just get started. 
One of my favorite accessories when I'm traveling and working abroad is my Skyroam Solis. But lately, I haven't been traveling. Is that that orange puck you've been using on our road trips? Yes, that orange puck is actually a Wi-Fi hotspot. And it allows for me to get my work done and have Wi-Fi even when we're in some sketchy service area. The Skyroam Solis and Skyroam Accessories are all 20% off when you use the code ROAMWITHBROOK at skyroam.com. The link for that is in our bio and it's also in the description of the podcast. All of our advertisers and the codes will be in the description on the podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.